how can running help? Uh, I, I think that, you know, we, we need to keep showing up, you know, uh, to all my Asian brothers and sisters keep showing up, you know, even though sometimes the uh, imagery out there, um, you know, let's say is not represented, keep showing up. You know, I think running together, um, you know, taking the example of like, say, bridge runners, everybody showing up together, uh, greeting each other in different languages, share miles together, and then sharing like ramen or like empanadas afterwards together. I think bring, running brings, running is like food. It brings everybody to the table. Welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable, a running podcast where we shake out and purposely go off track on any and everything related to our favorite hobby. Get ready to get uncomfortable along with our guests because growth only happens outside of your comfort zone. Here are your hosts, Ines Babea, Jamie Chen, and Nathan Schiller. Hello, I'm Nathan Schiller. Hola, I'm Ines Babea. Hello, I'm Jamie Chen, and welcome to Let's Get Uncomfortable. Today, our guests are Kai Ning and Leland Yu, two local New York runners who meet on Monday nights in Chinatown for Run for Chinatown. Kai and Leland are also long-distance runners who have joined forces on a project that will highlight the impact the COVID pandemic has had on businesses in Chinatown. That's right, Inez. As you said, they're both endurance runners and on our Sports Legacy segment today, we're going to focus on the challenges in endurance races. In May of this year, 21 participants died during an ultramarathon in China. Extreme weather and a lack of the race organizers' preparation led to the tragedy that is now described as one of the deadliest events in the country's sporting history. But in the middle of that tragedy, a lone shepherd, Zhu Keming, saved six runners and he helped to shelter them in a cave. Ultra runners are known to have this let's get it done attitude. And even more so when weather conditions can worsen, they will push their minds, body, and soul to finish. Leland and Kai, you both have completed some ultra distances this year. Have you faced a challenge with nature and thought that it would be incredibly uncomfortable, but decided to do it? And how did you overcome it? Like, for example, your Bridgeton. <laughs> you want to talk about that this, Kai? That, that made me smile so hard because I know exactly what Leland is thinking. Right, Leland? Yeah. All right, on yeah. three. Can, can we say it at the same time? All right, one, wow. two, two, three. Two, three. Ice, ice dagger. Spe ice spears, ice daggers, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, uh, so, um, so I think we it. were – so it was really interesting um, – because I've never experienced this before. Uh, I don't know about Leland. Leland, I think he could talk more about that as well. But uh, for me, I've never experienced this before. Uh, we were, Leland and I, we were uh, running the Bridgeathon, uh, which is uh, seven loops around the Manhattan Bridge. So we were running over the, the Manhattan Brooklyn Bridge, you know, 14 bridges overall, uh, back and forth over and over again for 26.2 uh, miles. Um, Sorry, guys, not necessarily an ultra marathon experience, huh? Is it, is it okay? Can I talk it, about it? Was it, it, it was over. It was over. It's totally fine. It was over. It's totally fine. Bridges, bridges count, okay? Bridges totally count. <laughs> All right. It was, so yeah. it was very, um, according to the elevation, 
uh, it is very ultra. So we, we, we climbed about like 1600 feet. Well, anyway, long story short, uh, it was a winter, winter day and I think we had some snow um, maybe a week or two ago and it accumulated on the Brooklyn and Manhattan bridges. So the day that we ran, it started pretty chilly, but then the temperatures warmed up a lot. I think it, it dropped down to like, you know, it, it went up to about like, I don't know, 40s, 50s or so. So the, you can, you know, first couple of laps, we saw like water coming, dripping down. And then, you know, I don't know, maybe the fifth or so lap, you know, like ice spears were dropping off of the um, the wiring of the bridge and literally crashing down while we were running. I mean, there were some points I was like, okay, uh, are we are we big running ones. through this? What's what's happening? Big ones, like, like big, big, yeah, <laughs> massive. As as maybe twice as tall as me. I'm like six feet. But like, if you guys watch Game of Thrones, like those that spear, like. The, that guy like threw to like kill the dragon. It was like that. It was, <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Now I gotta look it up, Leland. Now I gotta look it up. Yeah, I don't know. I, so, yeah, same. I, I, I that's <laughs> what I, exactly what I was thinking. But so you guys nice. managed to push through. Why? It, it, it had to be done. <laughs> what was the purpose? What was purpose. The, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. Original purpose. Well, in my mind, because I, I originally, I, mean, I don't know how, maybe I asked Kai about this or you asked me, I don't know. But anyway, came up with the idea of Bridgeathon. Uh, I think originally my thinking was, okay, let's celebrate Lunar New Year. That was like the start of it. And then, oh, and then Kai and I started training maybe about a month prior. And then within that month span, there was, a massive spike in Asian hate crimes, you know, and then, yeah. and then the run turned into, you know, Lunar New Year celebration, but then it also turned into raising awareness for Asian hate. Um, and, and, and just along with, on top of like just normal Chinatown struggle <laughs> that has been going on the past year. So um, like three things, Lunar New Year celebration, raise awareness for Chinatown, raise awareness for Asian hate. Um, these were three things that I had in mind. I'm sure both of us had in mind um, as we were going into this, as we were running it. So, That's I, yeah, and then I, I'm pretty sure, I mean, I'm, well, you know, Kai is, you know, certified running coach. So I, I know for sure in his mind, he was like, we should probably maybe think about, about continuing or not, you know, because he's a, you know, he's like worried about people's, people's safety, you know, as, yeah. as his athletes, his athletes' safety. <laughs> You know, right. which, I, which I was like, I think he's thinking this. And then, right. but in my mind, I, you know, I was like, this is pretty dangerous. If this hits one of us, it'd be pretty bad. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I guess we, I think we got a, well, luck, luckily no one got hurt. Um, but, you know, with these purposes in mind, you know, we're, we were going to gonna get it done. I think that we're going to come to all these themes that you just mentioned. Uh, maybe we won't revisit the icicles as much so that could definitely come up all i think all ultra um stories of how you made it through are great and i i we could trade those all day but i want to kind of go back to the beginning of how you guys got um into running could you each tell us like you know where you grew up and what kind of sports you were involved as kids if you were involved in sports 
so growing up, I played a lot of sports. Um, when I was, you know, most of my life, I played, you know, the normal sports. And then when I was 14 years old, um, so my teenage years, I started learning. Um, uh, I joined the Chinese Freem New York Chinese Freemasons Athletic Club, which is a, a, a Chinatown a nonprofit athletic club where I learned uh, martial arts, lion dance, um, and something called nine man volleyball. Um, so nine man volleyball is a, it's a, it's a variation of volleyball that originated from, um, the Toysan province of China, Southern China. Um, um, essentially it's, it's just slightly different rules, but the big difference is that there's nine people on each side of the court. Um, <clears throat> so I played, you know, I played a lot of regular sports and different sports growing up. Um, and I never ever ran uh, in an organized setting. <clears throat> um, so about running, um, I basically started running because um, to prepare to potentially join the fire academy of the FDNY. Um, because I've been in that process for a couple of years. I took the written test, I took the written test twice actually, 2012, when I didn't do well. <clears throat> so that was just off the board. Um, and then I took it again in um, 2017. I did a lot better, um, but it wasn't until 2019 that I heard that I like, uh, oh, get ready. You have a good chance of uh, entering the academy soon. Uh, better start running. You're gonna need to be able to run five miles a day. And then, you know, so that was like kind of a wake up, wake up call from not running at all to having to run five miles a day. You know, I'm, I was like, oh, well, I need to train. Um, so that's how I started running originally. Um, that was like around end of 2019. Um, <clears throat> so I, I only started on the treadmill. Um, and then, you know, March 2020, city shuts down. Uh, I lost my job. I was working in restaurants. The firefighter process is on hold. Gym's closed. So with all that, I started running outside. Um, and which, which I needed to do anyway, since the academy would be running, the running would be outdoors anyway. Um, so yeah, I started running outside and I started running outside a lot because, um, you know, I kind of had nothing to do. Um, so, uh, and I told myself, all right, since I have so much time, I'm just going to get or try to get in really good shape if the fire department does call me back. Um, and I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be able to run these five miles every day easily. Um, so that was like the catalyst of my, like why I started running, why I started, um, eventually hitting like far distances. Um, so I was able to hit, you know, eventually I was running, you know, maybe eight, nine, 10 miles, which I previously thought was impossible. Um, and then one day I ran 20 miles and I was like, that's crazy. Um, and then, um, and it was, on, it was on one of these 20 mile runs that I, that like this I kind of had this light bulb moment of like, okay, why don't I make this? So this is leading into the story of how I thought of run for Chinatown, but I, <clears throat> I basically thought of uh, uh, run for Chinatown on, on my 20 mile run. Um, and that's how it all started. Okay. Amazing. Uh, and now you can tell the fire department that you could run 50 miles. I think that's like, it should be an automatic entry. I don't know about you guys, but yeah, I feel that way. You are totally ready. Um, <laughs> as, as, as far as me, um, I, I guess, you know, I started running when I was in elementary school, PS 130 in uh, Chinatown. 
uh, shout outs to Mr. Schwartzman, who uh, always encouraged me, uh, you know, to, to, to run. And I loved it. I mean, this is back in the day where like Randall's Island, I don't know if you guys know Randall Stadium, uh, but you know, that was when Randall Stadium was around and now it's called Icon Stadium uh, on Randall's Island. Um, uh, yeah. we, we were, we were competing in uh, District 2. Um, I mean, I was super young, super small, uh, but I loved it. Uh, I, I loved it when they uh, walked into a classroom and they're knocking on the door and they're like, hey, come out, let's go to uh, the track meet. And we will all leave, jump on the school bus. Uh, that, and that's why, I don't know if you guys feel it, but like every time springtime comes around, when I smell the air of spring, it reminds me of the track. It reminds me of running. Uh, so... I did that. And then throughout school, you know, I dipped into like different things. Like, uh, I was even on the bowling team. Uh, I played, yeah, yeah. I was on the bowling team for some reason. Uh, I played basketball as well. I'm a, I'm a huge basketball fan. Grew up watching the Knicks, uh, grew up watching the Yankees, huge. Yeah. Yankees fan. Um, Ooh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Queens girl right there. That's the Queens girl right there. <laughs> no, that's good. I love it. But, but yeah, just, I don't know. Matt's a fan. I like literally, I, I couldn't believe it, but I was literally watching every inning. Like, I don't know if you guys can sit through it, but I, I was, <laughs> I was such a fan. I remember, you know, Jim Lyrics like hitting this homer and winning the game for the Yankees. But anyway, um, I think uh, running really kind of like blew up for me uh, is that, you know, I started meeting with some of my friends uh, at the foot of Manhattan Bridge. Uh, one of my buddies, Dominic, he was training for the, for the Marines. So he would always do this like, and now I know because like people who are training for um, uh, the service, they will always reach out to me. They're like, hey, coach, I need to train for uh, 1.5 miles and I need to break 14 minutes. Um, so now I know what Dominic was training for. So he would run over Manhattan Bridge. And then, you know, I was like, I run. So I joined him. Uh, so the group got bigger and bigger. And after a while, we're like, why not just cross off the uh, bucket list item um, of running a marathon? So we signed up. I think uh, 2014, we did our nine plus one, run nine races, volunteer for one uh, event. And then we got into the 2015 uh, New York City Marathon. Um, and that was it. I, I, you know, I caught the bug. I mean, I know it's a really bad time to talk about catching a bug because we all don't, but uh, I definitely uh, caught uh, the marathon bug. <laughs> Jamie, you like that one. <laughs> um, um, the marathon bug um, in 2015, um, you know, that feeling of running down um, Verrazano's Bridge, going up Fourth Avenue, and you got little kids, families out there who don't know you, uh, you know, in the, in the dead of like fall. I don't know if people say that. People say dead of winter. So, but I'm trying to be dramatic, I guess. Uh, in, in the fall, I mean, it's chilly. It's like, you know, 40 degrees out, you know, in their down jacket, uh, putting their hand up so that we can, they can high five us. And that's like when, when I caught the bug, I fell in love with the marathon distance. I'm wondering what role sports played for you guys as young children um, growing up. I know, uh, Leland, you said you grew up in Chinatown. And if you can talk about what you saw as far as like access in sports. Talking about access, um, I feel like there is access recreationally, 
like, okay, so I'm just trying to, you know, harken back to my memories um, in my childhood. Like, you know, I remember being able to play sports, you know, you know, in gym class or after school or at the parks. Um, and then I joined the Chinese Freemasons Athletic Club, which, you know, helped me, you know, play, uh, introduced me to like different sports and athletics. Um, so I, I think there is access in my opinion, in Chinatown specifically. But what I'm realizing now, and also thinking back on my, you know, my own experience is like, there's not much past that level of like, oh, let's just play around, you know? Um, after like, okay, let's say I wanna like, you know, like uh, go to, I don't know, go to uh, run seriously in college or something, like, like for example, you know? Or so I, I'm, I, I don't think there's that that kind of access, like where I can find somebody where I can like find there's not many coach guys out there, you know, basically, what is what I'm saying, like, I can't find a coach guy that's like, easily accessible, like, hey, uh, can you teach me how to run and like, I want to like get serious about this, you know. Um, uh, so that's what I think is not as accessible. So the access was just for like kids in the neighborhood. And then after that, there was like no, maybe no access to like a runner who looked like you, or like you said, like a coach who might be for area to like take you to the next level. My, my feeling is, the, is that there's not much well, access or, or, or maybe even encouragement to like take whatever sport it is to the next level. You know, like let's say, I, let's say I was really fast, I don't know, in, uh, in, I don't know elementary, in elementary or middle school and I looked promising, I don't know. Like, I don't think that there would be anybody around and be like, hey, you could be really good at this. Like, why don't like, I take you under my wing, for example, you know? Or whether, maybe it's basketball. Um, Leland, I have a question. Did you grow up in yes. Chinatown or in Brooklyn? Uh, Chinatown. Do you think it's because in Chinatown, there wasn't um, a priority about sports in the neighborhood? Well, I think that's, I don't know if it's a neighborhood thing or if it's a cultural thing or if it's both. Um, but maybe, I think it probably is both, you know, I think at least in Chinatown, you know, there are kids playing sports, you know, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like, it's just like to take it to the next, that take, uh, organized no sports, really, yeah, organized. organized. Yeah. Um, there is, okay. I'm not being totally, uh, it's not a, like a broad stroke. Okay. Right. You know, there are some organized sports, there's volleyball, some organized and basketball, but like, I don't think anyone's really like trying to nurture that uh, or, or, or like further develop that in like individuals, you know, like, hey, like, let's, let's go. I see something in you and then I want to like help you, you know, I, what I did, didn't see. How about what did your parents prioritize for you to get involved in after school? Um, it wasn't sports. Um, you know, I had to do that myself. Um, I remember my father... Uh, my parents are divorced, so my father, they didn't have like a cohesive influence on me. It was like separate influences. So my, my mom would say one thing and my dad would say one thing. Um, but my dad was the one that wanted me, he had me playing piano for six or seven years. And I, 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 don't, I can't remember how to play. I, I didn't want to play. I was never into it. I barely practiced. I basically wasted the piano teacher's time. Um, and actually like, Immediately after my lesson, I would go play, I would go to the Columbus Park and like play some play some sports. 
immediately after. I could not wait for the lesson to be over. Um, so, I mean, well, in my experience, uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, my parents didn't really push sport um, in my life. You know, I had to do it myself. And Leland, you said that there's, there wasn't someone like a Coach Kai there. So, Kai, mm-hmm. what do you think about that when you hear that? Um, I, I actually get it myself, too. Um, you know, there, you know, people, people are, you know, when, when they, when I tell them, like, hey, uh, I'm a running coach, you know, uh, they're like, oh, that's, that's a thing. People teach you how to run. Um, and then even uh, recently, you know, I, I guess people were saying, like, oh, you know, like, you're like the only, you know, Asian running coach out there. You know, there's nobody. Uh, so, so yeah, I think I think that's interesting uh, to kind of like piggyback on what kind of like Leland is saying, or to kind of like jump back to the previous questions too. I think um, I think that uh, for my family, uh, my family immigrated here in um, when I was like when I was three, and I'll, I'll tell you this: like sports was not a priority, uh, but but that was kind of like my way after school to kind of like keep myself busy while uh, my, my parents were working. Uh, so yeah, and I think just kind of like doing that, being at the park, playing basketball from like after school all the way until like 9 p.m. Uh, I don't know, made me love sports, I guess. Well, it's interesting that Leland said that growing up, he didn't have someone like Coach Kai and then Kai you know, I think I asked you once, I said, it's, it's odd for me to see someone Chinese decide to be a running coach, because I did not grow up seeing that in New York City. I saw a lot of running coaches of other races, but I never saw someone Chinese because stereotypically, it sports is not a priority for my family and some of my friends. Um, what made you decide to become a running coach? It's not traditional field pursued by first generation Asians. I, I think I have, uh, you know, my wife to thank a lot, um, Sharon, uh, because I, 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 was, I was at a point in my life where I was working at nine to five and you know, uh, every time I started a job, I would create a, a desktop folder called like my legacy. And I always put like everything that like, I feel felt like I made an impact, you know, in that folder. So I know, so I'm, it's a way of holding myself accountable. Um, but then I think after a while I was like, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I don't know what my purpose is. I thought about my life's legacy, you know, when I leave this, you know, world, you know, what am I leaving behind? Um, and I, I remember the time I was uh, watching a lot of TED Talks um, with my then girlfriend. Uh, she, she was kind of on the same boat. She was a personal trainer at Crunch and um, she wanted to uh, become a yoga teacher. And uh, I, I remember kind of like supporting her um, and she went ahead and made it happen. 2017, February, Saint, the island of St. John in the Virgin Islands, um, she made it happen. And I remember when I was on that island at that yoga retreat, uh, I was like, you know, look, you know, waking up to the, the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. I was waking up to trees, mountains, and it hit me. Um, 
you know, uh, with these TED Talks, I remember one of them was asking me, like, when do you find the most joy? And, you know, that you're smiling to yourself with nobody around. When was the last time you, you, you were in a flow state where you were doing something and no one can pull you away? So, you know, I thought about that. And it was my time uh, when I was living in Harlem with Harlem Run and, you know, me showing up as one of the captains and showing everyday people that, you know, they can do this. I am no superhuman. I am no superhero. Like I'm out here just guiding them, you know, pacing them, coaching them. So uh, at that yoga retreat in 2017, that's when I came back. Uh, I wrote a bunch of emails to New York City coaches and say, hey, how can I help? Um, and and uh, I'm so grateful for Coach Kane of City Coach for getting back to me and saying, hey, come on, uh, I need your help. Uh, and gave me a lot of opportunities to coach Jackrabbit Marathon programs, uh, Brooklyn Half Marathon programs, Time Warner Media, HBO, um, you know, all these great opportunities. And that's when I decided, 2017. But Leland, I wanted to, now that we've known more of the background of like what sports were and were not when you were younger, and you know, you said that you wanted to get back, get into running because of your FDNY, and then the pandemic happened. So tell us how then, how did Welcome to Chinatown come about? Uh, so Welcome to Chinatown is the organization that I fundraised for um, uh, from my first run for Chinatown. Um, so um, what I did on May 1st, 2020 was that, um, you know, cause I thought, okay, how can I use my running for good? Uh, and I was kind of getting interested in ultra running and like endurance sports, triathlon. I was just like on YouTube all day. Um, and then, so I was like, oh man, these guys run 50 miles, 100 miles, 24 hours. I was like, why don't I make my own? And I'll just run around New York City. Um, so that's what I did. Um, I was like, all right, I'm gonna run for 12 hours around New York City. I'm gonna get friends and family to donate $1 per mile that I run. And then all the money is going to go to an organization called Welcome to Chinatown, which at the time was fundraising to purchase bulk meals from uh, Chinatown restaurants to feed frontline healthcare workers. Um, so, yeah, May 1st, 2020, 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I ran. Um, weather was not kind to me either. There was, no, there was no ice daggers, but it was raining for the first half. Um, and then I ran 61 miles and I raised about $25,000 and then donated that to Welcome to Chinatown, which was started by a few friends that I knew. Um, and, uh, yeah, that was, that was the, the start of, of run for Chinatown. Can I just ask you what your route was on the 60 miles around New York city? Oh, uh, I mean, second half, I kind of just made up, but more or less, um, from Brooklyn, um, uh, like Park Slope, Brooklyn, crossover, Brooklyn Bridge, uh, you know, South Ferry, go all the way up to the west side, um, almost tip of Manhattan, um, you know, kind of crossover east, come down. Um, I hit Central Park. I leaped Central Park on the perimeter, not the, not the inside, but on the street, basically. Um, and then I came back downtown on the west side, back to the South Ferry, a little bit of the FDR, crossed Williamsburg to Brooklyn, back to the Manhattan Bridge, crossed the Manhattan Bridge, finished in Chinatown. 
more or less 60 miles. Yeah. So when you're on this journey, when you're on this journey and you're someone who, like you said, didn't grow up running, just playing sports, didn't have any running role models and is now raising all this money in a pandemic going on ultra runs just around the city because you want to, and you want to do something good. What are you thinking? What's going through your mind when you're on this? How did I get here? <laughs> uh, oh man, it's, honestly, it seemed ages ago. I'm like, what was going on in my mind? But uh, I mean. You blacked out probably. Oh yeah. A couple of hours. Well, <laughs> I mean, for that first one, like, I was really like a, a man on a mission. Cause like, I was just like coming out of nowhere. I'm like, I'm gonna make this thing up. I'm gonna create this thing and I'm post it on Instagram and Facebook, nobody knows me. Um, let's see who donates, you know? I didn't know how much money I was gonna raise. I just, you know, it started as really a personal mission, you know? Because like I said, you know, I lost my job, firefighter thing was on hold. Uh, so a lot of things were sucking in life, basically. <laughs> so, you know, and then like, I was like, you know, trying to, you know, there's there a lot of personal stuff going on as well. So, so when I started running, um, when the pandemic hit and I started running outdoors and I was reaching these like milestones of five miles, 10 miles, 20 miles, you know, like something was like clicking in my head or something was like unraveling in my brain, you know, like, like, I'm doing things that I thought I couldn't have done. And I'm like, huh, maybe this can apply to like the rest of my life, you know? And then, um, and then I was like, all right, screw it. I'm, I'm like getting interested in ultra running. Let me test myself. Let me run for 12 hours and see how far I go. Um, so throughout that run, like, you know, my, I was like kind of really driving myself. Like, I, I don't care who's watching, I'm gonna run forever, you know? Um, and I was like, kind of like really just pushing myself, like, go, 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 go. And then, but, but so that was one of the motivators, but like towards like the end when it was like really hurting and I'm like, okay, I think I'm good. I kind of need, I can slow down now. I can, I can walk, you know, I don't need to go too far, but then like, it was hitting me like, well, if I run more miles, then that's more money that I'm raising. So then like another gear kicked in, like, okay, let's keep going, let's keep pushing. Um, so, you know, that helped me, you know, hit the 50 mark, helped me hit the 60 mark, and then helped me finish at 61. So in talking about, you know, getting your mind to that place of, like Leland, you just experienced, I guess that's like a serious runner's high of like, you just keep going. Um, Coach Kai, if we can talk about the beginning of your coaching experience like tell us about how you ended up coaching with harlem run and, and that and then also we find out that you are also like um an ambassador for ultra ultra running how did that come yeah. about um i moved up to uh well with harlem run i moved up to harlem um damn i'm so bad with years okay uh one of these past years uh damn i can't believe it it's i'm blanking out but anyway long story short i moved up to harlem uh uh you know i i really missed uh running every monday night with my friends like i was saying earlier uh and i i looked up meetup.com to see if there's any kind of like groups that are running and, and one of them was like uh a group in harlem that was meeting at a uh, harlem yoga studio 
Uh, and that's where I met uh, Allison, Amir, um, and I think Allison was, uh, you know, try to, trying to get this going. Amir was trying to get We Run Harlem going. So they, they combined powers. And then, you know, I remember having a conversation one time uh, with them. It's like, are we doing this? Are we building this? Let's do this. And if so, let's do it. And I remember uh, taking over that uh, Instagram account. And, you know, it's just uh, that's how we connected. And, and we started growing from there. Um, and as far as like ultra goes, um, it, it, I'm pretty particular as a runner and a running coach, uh, what, what type of gear I use and so on. Uh, I really love, and, uh, I did my research and I really love how ultra promotes, uh, the natural gait, um, and it gives, uh, runners enough, uh, space in the toe box to run longer distances and so on. So, um, I actually just applied and uh, I became an ambassador. So I'm really happy where I am right now, representing a brand that, you know, uh, recently we had a IG Live about like cultural diversity too. So uh, I'm really grateful to be a part of a team that, that prioritizes that. I was and, gonna ask like how many ambassadors of color do they have? And what are you, what are you supposed to do? Like, do you go like and give talks? what is the role of the ambassador? Um, well, there's not many. I don't think there's anybody that looks like me when I looked up the, uh, on the page of uh, ultra ambassadors. Um, the role of the ambassador, I think it's, it's continued to kind of like um, learn more about the, the mission of the company uh, and, you know, try out new products and, you know, continue to share the, um, the, the vision of like ultra running, uh, with other runners. So that's, that's really what it is. Um, so we get newsletters, they send me products to try. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, this, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic, we didn't really have any events, but typically ultra will have events that we can all attend. Uh, and every now and then we have like, uh, IG live chats and stuff like that. So that was great. Because I know in the past we've had people who have done ultra, ultras, and they've mentioned that that is a very white male dominated industry participation and all that. And like you said, when you looked at the page of what the ambassadors look like, nobody looked like you. So then, how? What is it that they said that made you believe that their mission going forward will inc will try to find more diverse participants to be part of this world? Um, I think it was really nice uh, during that cultural diversity um, uh, IG Live conversation, talking to Christy uh, Peoples, uh, talking to uh, Jordan, talking to Brian, um, that, you know, they, they prioritized that. They prioritized diversity. Um, so I think that that's definitely one step forward um, because I've, I've definitely um not seen that before so i think we're we're heading towards the right right direction but of course there's uh definitely more work to do is there anything concrete that you've seen since you've been with them that has changed i haven't kind of seen their complete roster of let's say ambassadors uh i'm not sure they post all of that online um but i think you know even just i guess me being a part of the team uh, can can be a good start 
somewhere. Um, I have seen them on Instagram and in the newsletter kind of like, um, you know, speaking up, uh, you know, against some of the uh, issues that are out there. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think we're heading towards the direction, but like, like I said, I think there's still a lot more work to do. Well, I'm hoping that maybe you'll be able to be that catalyst for them to push towards that work. I'm pretty sure that you have a lot of great ideas. I know that you did run for Harlem. Um, you were one of the only Asian faces in a predominantly black group. How did you feel about that? Did you feel a difference? I, sometimes I feel like I, I don't want to say things that comes across like the wrong way. Um, that's why we're uncomfortable. This is an uncomfortable yeah. conversation. So but okay. uh, I, I, I actually felt very comfortable. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it's I mean, Harlem Run is family to me. Um, and, and sometimes I feel like my high from it, the love that I have from it kind of maybe, um, maybe, I don't know, makes me just feel so good about it that, uh, maybe it didn't, matter too much and again i don't want it to come across the wrong way but um yeah i mean harlem run is family to me and uh i was just so happy every day meeting up at 7 p.m uh you know spending meeting up doing the runs and then like staying after the run to like check on everybody to see how everybody's doing so it was just, okay. yeah it's, it's all love I can see how you lead some of that into our Monday runs. Um, but let me ask about the relationships between Asian Americans and Black Americans. Um, and lately in this recent year, we've had a lot of discussions that have come up. And Asian Americans, we've heard the discussion about the model minority myth in America. And I think that if we really look at, look at history, there are many Asians that have embraced that title and they use it as a method to elevate themselves above other races. And I think it's, you know, it follows systemic racism. Do you guys, Leland and Kai, did you guys see examples of that model minority um, feeling growing up? Leland? Uh, or, uh, well, I was thinking of an answer, but I mean, answer, yes. Um, I'm just trying to think of like examples, you know, because. I mean, I know that I've experienced that, like, you know, the, 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 the pressure of the myth, you know, you know, on my being, you know? So, like, and, and, and maybe, maybe it applies now even, you know, you know, in my daily life, you know, like, or I'm not sure if it's a model minority thing. I'm not sure if it's a me thing. Cause like. How about I, mean, I give you, I'll give you an example, right? Okay, go, go, go. Um, I know growing up as a kid, I was treated differently um, by certain adults. So penalties to me were levied lower for if I got in trouble. Oh versus my black friends who were doing the same wrong with me in a room would mm. get punished differently or actually more severe. Okay, the truth is they would get sent away to the juvie 
and I would be put on probation instead. So that's an example as a child. And then another example, I think someone said to me, I don't picture you doing these kinds of things with these kids. You're better than that. You, you look like you're someone that will do well in school. I've got that said to me also. So, and I would use that and I would get away with a lot of things. So yes, I've seen that. That's, that's what I saw as a child growing up. Now that you mentioned your first example in particular, a very strong example has popped into my head that I'm, I can't believe I didn't, it didn't come up uh, instantly, but a couple of years ago, like post, um, post college from um, 2014, maybe 2015, I was, you know, kind of like finding my way in life, having odd jobs, drinking, hanging out late. Um, so um, I, my family has a home in Staten Island too. So I've spent parts of my life living in Staten Island as well. So at the time I was living in Staten Island and then um, I had, it was a Saturday night. I had like, I had, I had had a long day. I, I played volleyball in the morning. I like spent the whole day in Chinatown and then I hung out at a bar with my friends. Um, and then I drove home at like 3 a.m. maybe. So late, late, I was tired, probably drunk. Um, and I fell asleep on the wheel. And then luckily I was almost, I was, I was a few blocks away from home um, in my neighborhood in Staten Island. It was, and it's, my neighborhood in Staten Island is a very black neighborhood. Um, so, uh, uh, by the way, Leland, this is on record. Okay. So tread carefully, yeah, carefully. It's on record. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It, it, <laughs> it happened kidding. already. This happened already. <laughs> so, so I fell asleep. So I was not on the highway. I was local roads, few blocks from my home. I dozed off and then I, I, I fell asleep and then I woke up, I had crashed into a car. Um, you know, I, I was, I was probably going 15, 20, you know, still fast ish. But, you know, no, I didn't get injured or anything, but I hit a car, I woke up, my horn was blaring. And I was like, what the heck just happened? And then I was panicking and then I was like, oh shit. And the horn wouldn't shut off. So the whole neighborhood woke up. So I got out of the car, I'm freaking out. Everybody's coming out of their homes. And I'm like, oh, I'm screwed. I drank, they're gonna breathalyze me, I'm done. Like, and then I, I had some weed on me too. I was smoking marijuana at the time. And then I was like, oh, I'm good. But then like, I, I chucked it somewhere and then, but anyway, I was like, oh, they're gonna breathalyze me and I'm done, you know? And then- um, Did the cops come? The cops police came? came? Police came. Police came. And let me guess, they let you go. They didn't, they didn't even breathalyze me. So they treated you differently, right? They looked at I you told them you. too, he was like, have you been drinking? I said, Honestly, yeah, I've been drinking. I was, I, was, I was ready. I'm like, oh, here we go. I'm gonna get screwed for a little bit of my life. And he didn't even breathalyze me. And then, and then, uh, I mean, yeah, fast forward, nothing happened. Basically, I mean, I got in a car accident, basically. That's what happened. And that was it. And I was like, I was, I was really confused. Like, what? Like, that's yeah. it? So yeah, that, that's what, an, what an did, example. What did, what did they say that made you feel that they were letting you go because of the way that you looked? I can't really recall the, the, what was said. I, I, now that you ask that question, for some reason, 
maybe maybe this is just but I really feel like he might have said these words. He might have said, he might have actually said, you seem like a good kid. I, I feel like he might, the officer might have said that. Very, very likely. Um, because I was like, because I, I remember thinking like, oh, he's going to let me go, you know? And then, uh, you know, but yeah. So you realize, I, I remember, so you realize that at no time your, your life wasn't threatened in a way that it would have been if it would have been like, a black driver probably probably and then and then i felt so much pressure because like i said it was a very black neighborhood so everybody coming out of their homes everybody was black it was like i, I felt a lot of pressure i was like and, and then i'm sure they were thinking like what the fuck you know if, you know like like well not everyone knew the details of what happened right but but maybe they you know i was like am i just getting away like this like and then yeah Okay. I ha I mean, here's another one. I've been told I I was hired because they selected me for being Asian. I've been told that many times. And they said to me, as one woman said, you know, when I saw that you were Asian, I was really happy when you walked through the door. Mm. And I asked why. And she said, because I know that you would work hard and you wouldn't give me problems. That's something I, I keep in the back of my mind. Uh, well, yeah, I've definitely had those work ones too. Um, well, okay, so another quick example um, uh, <laughs> that, that maybe we'll use instead. Um, but uh, yeah, so I worked in restaurants for the past couple of years. Um, you know, after having these odd jobs for a number of years, trying to find my way, I decided, okay, um, let me try something that I like. And I was interested in cooking, so I ended up, uh, you know, going on Craigslist, applying for a restaurant job, and I ended up loving it. Um, but you know, it was, I ended up working for a Korean restaurant. Um, so the, the owner was, uh, it was, there were like two Koreans and, uh, and there was a husband who was a white guy. So it was a mixed ownership and mixed, uh, work, uh, crowd, you know, Asian, all colors basically. But, uh, I could tell definitely that I was liked by the ownership you know um you know because i was asian um uh, you know because they were like oh yeah of course he's gonna of course he works hard he's asian you know so like things like that would be said you know or or of course he's gonna do that he's asian or, or of course he you know does this because he's asian you know and then you know but this is like another asian guy saying it too and i'm like I don't, I don't know. I don't, I'm, sometimes I don't know whether to take offense from this or, or be like, you know, maybe that's true. Uh, I don't know. Um. If we can get back to how Jamie started this question, um, I think we, because as she said, like, she got preferential treatment over her Black friends. I wonder, like, you, Kai, and Leland are have very different experiences. Like, you guys, one of you was born here, one of the other one, you immigrated with your family. Was race a conversation at home at all? And did you have diverse groups of friends growing up that exposed you to different things? I don't think that um, I had, uh, you know, conversations of race really at home. Uh, I feel like for my family, especially like immigrant parents, and I. And all of this is, I'm still learning, even through this, like on the record, I am still learning. 
um, with my family, we, it was always about, okay, put your head down, work hard, do well in school, uh, don't get into trouble. If there are fights, walk away. Uh, just don't get in trouble. Uh, you know, do well, get a job, start working. I started working when I was 14. Start working, help pay the bills. Um, and that was like a lot of the priorities um, at home. That's a lot of like the conversations. Uh, as far as like growing up, uh, do I have a, you know, did I grow up in a diverse environment? Um, I, I would say like my, my elementary school was located in Chinatown. So it wasn't really that diverse. A lot of people were, um, you know, Chinese. Um, and, but it's kind of like when, when you get to like middle school and high school, that's when things got a little diverse. Uh, I love that I was on the basketball team. Uh, so therefore, like I was playing with guys who, who are, you know, from different parts of the world, um, you know, black kids, white kids, um, we're all just playing together. Like, have, have you had any, you know, awful examples where you've been targeted, especially during these COVID times, because you're Asian, by random people on the street? Have you had friends who have, how does your community handle this from your perspective? There's been like two tiny things that has happened to, not, not really has happened to me, well, sort of, but you know, one guy obviously like either, and he was homeless and or mentally ill. And, you know, just on the corner of a street and then I'm walking by, he just like looks at me and he's like, uh, hey, he's got coronavirus, you know? And then like, or, or, or yeah, you know, and he's pointing me out, right? And I just ignored him. Like he's obviously just, you know, out of his mind. Um, another time, um, I was walking with some friends on the street and it was, uh, it was like a closed street, you know, uh, so no vehicles were, uh, it was like open streets or something. Um, so, you know, closed off the cars. Um, so my friends and I were walking on the street and then there's like a bicyclist who comes behind us. So like, we're kind of in his way. So he bumps into us and then some like words were exchanged, nothing racial, but he starts biking ahead to, you know, he's, he goes on his way, bikes like 20, 10, 20 feet. Then he says, you fucking Chinese, blah, 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 you know? And I was like, I knew this was going to happen. I knew he was going to say something once he got ahead. And then, um, yeah, so, you know, you know, things have been said to me, my friends, you know, and then I had a friend whose aunt had been attacked, actually. She was waiting at the bus stop somewhere. I think it was either in Harlem or the Bronx. She got like attacked by some kids and then she had to be hospitalized. Um, so like how to handle this or, or, or respond. So for example, in my Chinatown community, you know, a lot of, um, especially in the past months or past half year, there's been groups that have been popping up. Um, one that was started actually at the start of the pandemic called the Chinatown Black Watch, started by an older friend of mine um, it's basically just neighborhood patrol group. They go around maybe, I think twice a week, Thursday and one other day, just to, you know, basically, you know, patrol, uh, patrol the neighborhood, check on stores, check on people, check on the streets. Um, I think they've managed to, you know, maybe kind of apprehend or like prevent one or two inc incidences 
so far. Um, yeah, so that's one way that uh, the community has responded. It seems like uh, a lot of the, um, you know, recent incidents are, um, you know, I mean, it's unfortunate for everybody, but like right now, a lot of um, older, elderly, uh, Asian women are Asian women are being attacked, um, and uh, me myself, um, you know, I I've experienced uh, you know even prior to like pandemic where it's just like you know I was running I remember running through Brooklyn Bridge and you know there were two guys that literally cornered me on the Brooklyn Bridge while I was running, you know, with like you know uh, America. Uh, American flag shorts, you know, literally, you know, uh, confronted me. Um, and it's like, oh, you know, where are you going? Where are you going? Like, and it was so silly, uh, you know, because after that, they just kind of like ran off. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, unnecessary, I guess, like, but, you know, th things like that does happen. Um, you know, like, you know, go back to your country. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know how many times I've heard that. Uh, even when I'm on the subway, I remember, uh, you know, growing up, like, that's, that's one of, uh, that's one of the things I, I feel like I've heard so many times, like, whenever there's an argument, like, on the train or something, like, with somebody who's Asian, it's like, okay, go back to your country. Sometimes we may not have the uh, ultimate solution for that, but it's really important to start the conversation, uh, bring people together, um, and, and really just have these conversations, have these uncomfortable conversations, because I think solutions do come out of it. Uh, awareness does come out from it. So yeah, I think, I think you know, what Leland's doing um, and, and, you know, and others that are doing, uh, you know, the work that they are doing for the Chinatown community, the Asian community, the AAPI community is really important. What role do you see that running now for the two of you can help further this mission of and also representation of, you know, Asians in sports? Um, because like we said before, like you are one of the few coaches, you're one of the few ambassadors Leland, you are, you started this project for Chinatown. So what is next? How can Run and help you further this mission? So, um, you know, re I, recently I was invited to talk uh, with, uh, by Harlem Wellness Center and uh, Racial Healing Hub. And, um, you know, I, I, I thought long and hard about it. And uh, I basically talked about how I'm gonna backtrack actually. So um, even prior to that, okay, so I was at Harlem Wellness Center, uh, Marcus Garvey Park up in uh, Harlem, and I was talking about a particular uh, event that I went to. So it was the uh, running to protest uh, uh, run that was organized by uh, Power Malu and Coffee. Uh, I remember showing up uh, on that day um, and uh, it was a weekend day. Uh, I remember I was in Union Square and I saw everybody just kind of like showing up. You know, runners from the running community were showing up, people like with baby carriages and they brought their kids and all of that. They were all showing up to the running to protest run, the black and Asian solidarity run. And I had this feeling, I was like, wow, this, this kind of looks familiar. I've seen this before. Where have I seen this before? It took me a while, I think, until after the run. I was like, oh, I know where I've seen this before. Um, 
I've been to um, uh, weekly group runs uh, with, say, bridge runners. You know, I've been into weekly group runs with a lot of the New York City urban running community gr groups. And I see this. I see the diversity. I see the solidarity. And, and it, it was a feeling that was just so comfortable. So when I was talking up in uh, Harlem, Marcus Gary Park, uh, I was saying how the New York City urban running community is healing racism. You know, we've done this solidarity run with, um, with you know, running to protests. But what I realized that day is that the New, the New York City urban running community has been doing solidarity runs. You know, you know, particularly groups like, you know, bridge runners that literally is bridging the gap bridging people from all over the country, bridging uh, people from all cultures and ethnicity together. Um, it's like every Wednesday night, 7 p.m., it's a solidarity run. How can running help? Uh, I, I think that, you know, we, we need to keep showing up, you know, uh, to all my Asian brothers and sisters keep showing up, you know, even though sometimes the uh, imagery out there, um, you know, let's say is not represented, keep showing up. You know, I think running together, um, you know, taking the example of like, say, bridge runners, everybody showing up together, uh, greeting each other in different languages, share miles together, and then sharing like ramen or like empanadas afterwards together. I think bring, running brings, running is like food. It brings everybody to the table. So um, keep running. So that's why we need to schedule a run together, guys. Uh, well, I guess that's um, that's what you mean when you plan to make make it your mission to provide coaching support to athletes who are running for the greater good. And yes. how do you continue to do that? I struggled a lot with asking myself if I'm an activist in 2020. Um, I it, it was just so hard. Like, you know, am I an activist? What am I? Um, uh, you know, I'm a coach, I shouldn't be act, you know, am I like, am I an activist, but if I want to be, but I'm not good at it, right? Um, you know, I, I, I definitely, you know, learn a lot from um, people like Paramalu, Coffee, who are out there doing great work. Um, uh, and then for me, on top of that, like, I, I want to continue to use my platform to, um, to speak up, um, to, to say what's right, um, and hopefully that makes a difference. Leland, it's, you know, Kai, we, we see it in all his efforts, but Leland, you're running. It seems that your connection with running has been to provide awareness and you're running with these goals, um, you know, to help people. How will your future in running look? What's next on your plate? Are you going to keep doing more fundraisers? You know, uh, these are good questions. Um, I, I'm literally now in this time, like these past weeks and the coming weeks and now, you know, a lot of kind of tinkering is happening um, in my brain and like, or on paper, um, like, okay, so where do I take uh, run for Chinatown. What is Run for Chinatown? Is it a group of people? Is it is it 
a, is it a fundraising run? Is it a philosophy? Is it all these things, you know? Um, That's what I love and, and about whoever, you, Leland. <laughs> and, thank you. And, and, and who am I, you know? It, it, am I run for Chinatown? Or am I, am I now opening it up to, you know, like it's it, a lot of questions that I have to answer now um, and, and figure out. Um, but I mean, I, yeah, I want, I want to have, I want to do a lot in, in running, you know, and, you know, um, a lot of the things, the things I just mentioned, like, you know, I want to keep doing fundraiser runs. I want to keep doing weekly runs. I want to keep um, having challenges for myself personally. Um, I want to keep bettering myself. I want to help other people better themselves. And then, you know, so all these things that I want to do, you know, um, I don't know what that looks like in like a neat picture, <laughs> you know, but, you know, lots of bits and pieces. And then I just have to figure out, okay, how does it, how does it look together uh, and, and have, like how to make, make sense? Leland, I love the way you uh, answer the question with more questions. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get you guys to the hot mic, but um, Coach Kai, I have one last question for you. I read um, it was either in a bio on a piece you wrote or an interview you gave where it said you ran your first race when you were eight years old. You ran an 800 meter half mile race. Is that true? And was that really your first race? And what do you remember about it, if anything? Um, yeah, uh, I, I, I was in the East River track. Um, my shirt was probably oversized. Uh, I was turning the corner on the two, uh, on, on the left side of the track, coming across, finishing strong. Uh, and, you know, my friends came by and they were like, oh, wow, you made a, you know, you made a huge turn. You gained so much ground on that, on, on that turn and all of that. But of course, like, you know, with less vocabulary words, like, you know, we were young, we were eight. You know, but that was cool. You know, it was great. But uh, but but uh, um, the East River will always have the East River track, not the East River. I have no relationship with the East River. <laughs> the East River track is something that I it, it will always have a special place in my heart. Um, I still remember getting these little ribbons uh from completing the track. Way to go, PS one thirty. Way to go, District Two. District Two. <laughs> um. We've now reached the final segment of the show, the hot mic section. Yeah, you we, you you could warm up. Jumping jacks. <laughs> this uh, is where you're gonna get uh, each two minutes to leave um, the audience with a message about anything that you want to talk about. Ooh, this is your two minutes of fame. Uh, Individual, individually, we get two or one each. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, how do you want to structure it, right? Like, normally we have a guest and then they're going to go for about two minutes where they just want to talk about anything. They can leave a message, they could, they could vent or whatever, or you guys can turn it into a four-minute comedy show, who knows, um, or you could tell us great stories. It'd be uh, the worst comedy show. <laughs> but, nor yeah, we've had, when we've had multiple guests, you know, they'll do two minutes each, I guess, on a topic mm -hmm. or whatever they feel like it. Uh, we can go with whoever has the earliest birthday. April 2nd. Go for it. August. What's your birthday? <laughs> August. What's it? August? August 10th. Yeah. Or, yeah. You yeah. first. 
Damn it. Then I was like, also, let me... also remember that we've, we've had this in the past where like the person who goes first feels the, feels the pressure of going first. And then the person that follows is like, oh, I got to top that. So you guys have already set the scene. So coach, you raise the bar. They, oh no, uh, oh no. We're gonna uh, and only at the end will we know who went farther <laughs> and or who can really like, you know, time management and, and get your thoughts together. So Leland, here's the pressure for you with even more. Cause we already know Coach K just Kai's just gonna go right with it. So What's Kai gonna come with the fire? He's gonna come with the fire. Kai Kai's got it. He's done all the TED Talks listening, so maybe he'll make his own TED Talk right now. The two-minute TED Talk. And you'll be under immense pressure because I got my old oh, school man. stopwatch right here, old just like school. you're on the track. Okay. There we go. You can give me the uh, old school, ready, set, go, and I'll go. Ready. On your mark. Set. Go. Hey guys, how's it going? Run Coach Kai here. Um, just a New York City coach based in, uh, uh, well, I'm a running coach based in New York City. Um, what do I have to say? Um, you know, I, I, um, there are so many things on my mind. I think this, this was a great conversation and it really broke down a lot of things. Um, you know, I think, I think that we have a lot to learn from running um, as far as like, you know, um, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion. Uh, we have a lot to learn from running. And I think, you know, I spoke about this a little bit earlier, um, but, you know, it's important to continue to um, show up. Uh, like I said, it doesn't matter what the imagery you see out there. And I'm literally talking to you directly, uh, all my Asian like youth out there or, or youth out there that you feel like you are not represented in some way. I want you to go out there and represent. If you feel like, if you're listening to this and you feel like you're not represented, go out there and represent. Um, you show up, okay? Um, you, know, you know, there might not be Yankee fans out there, but talk about the Yankees if you want to, okay? Whatever can get you into the conversation, uh, I would say do it. Um, Keep showing up, uh, learn, learn. I always think about like the format of like, even like the bridge runners, right? Or weekly group runs in New York City. Um, show up, number one. Uh, number two, have those conversations. Um, because in order for us to kind of like understand, we have to have those conversations. But if in order to have those conversations, you got to show up. But once we start having those conversations, then we can start learning, right? So when we learn, then we start to understand. Um, because at the end of the day in this world, we all don't necessarily have to agree, but I think at some point we must understand. You know, we have to understand why, um, uh, you know, people feel the way they feel. Um, so I would say go, go out and, and, and continue to represent. Um, you know, if, if you guys need any help, uh, with any support, you know, I'm, I'm not always just running talk, you know, uh, you know, you guys can reach out to me and talk about anything, um, you know, but I'm definitely on a mission right now. If you're somebody that's doing good, you know, I didn't start my timer, Nathan, so you're gonna, you're gonna kill me. I didn't start my timer. Uh, so, um, but, but if you guys uh, are running for good, um, you know, reach out to me. Uh, uh, it could be a simple conversation just about running, 
to, to keep you healthy. Uh, if necessary, we can meet up and do some work together. Uh, but, but I want you guys to know that like you have my full support. Uh, if you're running for good, reach out. No, it's not limited to just like only if you're about stop Asian hate, you know, um, I think Black Lives Matter is also important. Reach out to me. Dawn, who was like one of my athletes who, who worked on um, uh, the laundromat project as well uh, to make sure, you know, art is accessible to um, uh, kids like in the urban community as well. So uh, reach out, um, you know, training programs and things like that. You guys have my full support. Um, and uh, yeah, let's, you know, Keep showing up to those runs. Keep having those conversations. That's how we understand, and that's how we can start, uh, you know, loving each other. Without that, we we won't get anywhere. So, get it done, guys. That's the workout for today. Leland, are you ready now? That's, that was a lot that Coach Kai <laughs> just gave us. So. Do you need you need a countdown? Are you ready? So I'm never ready. I'm never ready, but I'm always down. There so, you go. Let's go. You gotta do it. Just show up, like he said. So the floor is yours. All right. So um, I've been doing a lot of thinking, as I mentioned before, about you know what is Run for Chinatown? Where do I want to take Run for Chinatown? What does it all mean? And and I think back onto you know why did I go on this? 12 hour challenge. Why did I want to do this? And, you know, when I'm digging deeper into these questions and asking myself, why, 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 why? I'm realizing, oh, okay, you know, life was sucking bad for me. I was not the person who I wanted to be. I was not doing the things that I wanted to do. And I, I didn't look the way I looked. I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel. I wasn't happy. So running, came into my life and, you know, I started chipping away at these, these milestones, you know, running three miles straight, five miles straight, 10 miles, 20 miles. And then lo and behold, you know, I'm like going on this 12 hour run. And so through these milestones that I'm hitting, things are unlocking in my brain. And I'm like literally untangling the webs that are holding me back from achieving my goals in life. And running has helped me unlock that, you know? You know so not only physical milestones, but you know, it really has helped me like open my world, you know? And so I'm, right now I'm calling it breaking limits. I was able to break limit, physical limits, mental limits, emotional limits that has really opened so many doors for me, you know, and all this was through running. And so now it's like, I realized it's also a lot of it is about building confidence. Through all this, I have built confidence for me to stand in my own two feet and go out in any situation in the world and like, you know, be confident in who I am and be confident in my voice, you know, and in my choices and in my ability. And this is what I want to share with others through Run for Chinatown, especially with people from my Chinatown community because I grew up there, right? So I know, I know the community and I know the kids that grew up there. I know my friends that grew up there. I know even older people that grew up there and they're in these stuck situations.
situations in their mind and their bodies, you know, and, and I want to share running, you know, with all these people because, you know, you know, I'm not, I'm not a special person, you know, I'm just a human being. Right. And I discovered running and it helped me drastically. And I'm realizing, man, if, if running can do this for me, it can do this for so many other people, you know, like, and, and, and obviously it's, it's, it, you know, the tough thing is, you know, really to get people, you know, to take that first step. So, you know, Monday runs, run for Chinatown. This is the first step, you know, new runners out there, first time runners out there, people who are, are intimidated by it, come to Monday runs, you know, very easy. You know, it's just, you know, taking those first steps towards, you know, unlocking, um, unlocking your brain, unlocking your soul and, you know, being the person you want to be and doing the things that you want to do. This is what I want uh, Run for Chinatown to be about. Nathan, how did Coach Kai do? <laughs> Where did Leland fall in? Stop and, it, guys. Leland crushed laps. it. Leland crushed it. Nathan, show the laps. All right. We got <laughs> the lap one coming in. Lap one, Coach Kai coming in at 353.20 for a nice, solid, under four-hour marathon. <laughs> and, and Leland, you, you, you Boston qualified in some age groups with a 330-32. So I think right. you guys can feel proud of that. Remarkably, only 23 seconds apart. Sweet. You guys are basketball we were- fans. That's, a, that's an important number in basketball. So I think that's something man. even <laughs> more special. <laughs> yeah. So that brings us to the end of our show. Um, I want to thank our guests, Kai Ning and Leland Yu. It's been incredible to have you both on. You've shared a lot of um, poignant moments and given great advice and broadened the perspective for our audience and left everyone with really pow- powerful messages. Um, really look forward to you know seeing what you do in the future with your groups and what it holds, even if you don't know the answer. And we look forward to you know getting out there with you on the streets. Um, I also want to thank, of course, my co-hosts, that's Jamie and Inez, and of course, our listeners. We will see you on the next episode of Let's Get Uncomfortable. Thanks for listening to Let's Get Uncomfortable. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us on the App Store, and follow us on Spotify.